My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Have you ever seen the film Cloud Atlas, where a handful of people whose stories are shown woven together across time and space simultaneously future, present, and past? Did this movie attempt to depict reincarnation, or the continuality of mind, soul, and consciousness? Today we speak with a musician and now podcaster formerly signed to Atlantic Records to discuss his dance with the void the quantum death experience he survived, and the music industry dark secrets he became privy to. Izzy Griffin of the Duh Heads podcast joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Izzy Griffin. I was trying to fall asleep and my body was contorting itself almost like in the, like an exorcism movie where you're like, you can't, I can't control anything. I'm contorting all up. And then this demonic voice tells me like, stand up and go look in the mirror. Um, mind you, I can't control my body. This other worldly thing is controlling my body. A demon, right? I, I would say I'm fully possessed. That's what I would say. And I'm just basing this off of like what I experienced. Right? So I go in front of the mirror and it tells me to get on my knees and to bow to the mirror. And I'm like, what the fuck? This, like, and I can't control my body. So that happens. I start bowing to the mirror and then I start like pissing myself, like uncontrollably. And as I look up into the mirror, I'm a full like demon, like on fire, massive horns. It's like, it looks like the stereotypical idea of like Satan or whatever. And I can't like control anything. And I'm like freaking the fuck out. Oh, sounds good. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and with me today is a very interesting gentleman. I'm excited to get to know him, learn about what he thinks of this weird, wild world we're in, uh, but he's got a lot going on. Kill Podcasters is the name of his network.com or .org, he'll tell us. .com, .com. Dot com. Look out, dude, we got that commercial... Right. Commercial handle and everything. Right. So. And he's also the host of the Duh Heads podcast, D-U-H, as well as the Couch Philosopher podcast. I hope I got all that right. Either way. You got him right. You got him right. It's 40. The description has all the links. So folks, strap in. Izzy, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I got to know, does your family think you're crazy? Because you told me your podcast is a <laughs> lot like war mode. But I checked it out and I'm like, all right, this could be a comedy podcast, could be a conspiracy podcast. I can't really tell. So let me ask you, does your family think you're crazy? Where do you stand on all this kind of stuff? So here, this is actually a great way to, to open this show up. My family thought that I was out of my mind and I was for a long time, which we're going to get into. But my mom last weekend, actually, I went to lunch with her and she apologized to me over the Epstein stuff because during COVID... I was I was trying to like red pill everybody, right? Like I've always been into conspiracies like since I was 12 with like ancient aliens and stuff. And it's progressively it's like a snowball going downhill, right? And I've just really like during COVID, I was like working from home, I was drinking a lot, and I'm like it just like it hit me real hard and I I I got super into it and I would like tell her like this is the this is the the documents and Q is in control, don't worry. I was a big Q guy and shit. And no, we went to lunch and she was like, can you explain if Charlize Theron was one of the girls that was trafficked or if she was on the flight log? And I was like, mom, I'm sorry to tell you, but the beautiful (laughs) Miss Theron was a member of of the flights. She wasn't trafficked. And so she was like, I'm sorry, you were right about a lot of stuff and things are just getting crazier and crazier. So they're coming around. But they do think I'm I'm pretty fucking out there, to be honest. So kudos to your mom for having the you know humility to to say that you know because it's tough for parents. I feel like with my own parents, they notice it, but they're they're not gonna ever admit it. Like they'll never they'll never like apologize for you know giving me shit for what I right. told them about. And it's my own fault because I'm very like self-assured when I talk to them I'm always like and this is how it is and these guys are fucking you over right. so they don't ever want to give me credit because I you know I'm, I have a bad attitude about it but I like hearing I those you. kind of stories and it's cool to hear your mom kind of coming around to realize that the mainstream media lied at least about that and uh, it's all kind of coming out now but it's it's weird because as this list, and I don't want to get too far into topical stuff, but maybe give us your thoughts on this because this is a really hot topic right now. It doesn't seem like the Epstein list has been covered in the way that uh, maybe we were expecting. Right. What yeah. I mean, yeah, you would expect it. I mean, I expect a lot of things, you know what I mean? But it, it seems like with this and being a, like, a, I don't know, truther, whatever you want to call it, you never really get what you want or you expect. The weird thing is, is like to kind of tie all this in, I guess, with my family, like my dad was signed to Geffen Records in like the 90s. I was heavily involved in the music industry back in like 2015, 2016. Like my dad sang the theme song for that 70s show. And he was like, he was going to play uh, Jim Morrison and Oliver Stone's The Doors movie, actually. 
So when it comes to this like cult of ball, like weird child sacrifice kind of thing, like Pizzagate, all that stuff. My dad has this like knowledge of like what the industry really is like, especially because he's extremely spiritual. Like he was raised Catholic, but it's this weird thing where they put up these like blinders of like what's kind of going on. And so like when the Epstein stuff came out, my parents like, cause they left the music industry kind of due to some like kind of weird shit going on. And so they like know of this stuff, but they almost like don't want to believe it. So they think it's like not real, but like when stuff comes out like this, they know it's real. They've like experienced weird shit like in that vein. And so, I mean, I guess to say like to expect anything is like, I guess, uh, is, I don't know. It's just weird. My family just comes from this weird, this like weird background of like being involved and stuff with like weird shit. And yeah, well, you know what I'm saying, I don't know. No, absolutely. And I think to some degree, most people in society, not oh, you know, not just people in the music industry, although that'll give you a sort of closer perspective to this. But I think most people who have like a normal nine to five job, like my dad, his job is somewhat tied into the state, right? He works for the water company. So like if I tell him that the state's corrupt, like he doesn't want to believe that because that's where his paycheck comes from, you know? Right. Like, he might he might agree to some extent, but this notion that, you know, these people are taking advantage of you, you know, I think it's a matter of like comfort and just speaking from my perspective, you know, your parents sound like they left the industry for a good reason. Maybe that's part of it. You know, they 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 don't want to um maybe align themselves to something that they deep down at their core don't agree with but obviously their life choices put them in that world right so there's maybe like a, a cognitive dissonance there where they just don't want to you know, look into that you know they maybe sense it inherently but don't want to you know consciously acknowledge it what do you think right yeah yeah for sure which is funny because i've uh gone the exact opposite way of like you know, like my background is like this, like Freemason 33 degrees. And it's just like, I turn it all into a super meme, you know, like kind of like on our show, like duh heads and, and with everything, it's like, we can go super conspiratorial down into like the rabbit holes of, you know, I don't know, we're talking about tunnels in Brooklyn this week, like what's going on, you know? So I think it's fun to like, sort of acknowledge everything to like, and make a meme of it. Cause it's like, you know, this esoteric knowledge is only as esoteric as you allow it to be, you know, and it's, and especially like, you know, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to like know things about like, I don't know, Epstein and then to be red pilling everybody like I used to do in COVID. Whereas now it's like, Oh, well you can read people red pill by like just making a joke here and there and making a meme of it. And then people kind of will hear a whisper of it rather than being like, you need to like, listen to me man there's fucking tunnels under the fucking synagogues like <laughs> right well when did that transition begin because i feel like that's a moment most truthers get to at some point you know you're, you're chicken little and the sky is falling and pretty soon the town thinks you're nuts and then you realize like oh wow i, I kind of just alienated myself i better <laughs> i better right. uh you know try to warm myself back up to everybody again like what when did that kind of come over you well, this is actually a great segue into what I was going to talk about today, which is the theory of quantum suicide. 
I'm not sure how aware of you of of that like term or or anything like that. Well, I haven't heard the term, but if I had to use context clues, I'd guess it has something to do with like I don't know passing away intentionally outside of the body because I have heard stories of of people going out of body and then you know passing away and and the people find their their remains and they're like oh my gosh I thought he was just meditating you know <laughs> uh, so is that sort of yeah related so, or not? sort of. Sort of. So the idea is that your consciousness always will shift into a timeline uh, where you're alive and you're infinitely alive. So your consciousness will always be shifting timelines. And this will make a little bit more sense in a minute. So essentially you can like never die. That's basically the idea is like in this timeline. Okay. If I was to pass away in this timeline, my consciousness would shift to another one where I was not dead. Mm. So everyone, you know, like you would see me dead. I would be somewhere else. Okay. And the shift that you're talking about happened for me when I experienced this. Okay. So I was a massive, massive alcoholic drug addict, big time, big, big into cocaine, big, big drinker. Like, and I'm not talking like, you know, five, 10 drinks a day. I'm like 30 drinks a day high super high functioning alcoholic it's the reason i got kicked out of the music industry i was like in with atlantic records and mcgee entertainment and all these like big music stuff when i was in my younger 20s just ruined a lot for me and i just i was a fucking maniac dude and i was like a cokehead alcoholic conspiracy theorist who like just kept his shit together well enough to like function and that kind of went on for a long time and eventually i kind of was like i need to to like get my shit together and stop drinking. So I was like running the podcast with my cousin rain and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I get sober for three months. This is 2021 summer of 2021. So I'm able to string these three months of sobriety together. And then I relapsed, I relapsed super hard. And the thing with relapsing when you're the severity of a drug addict that I was, is you go right back to like, doing and using how you did. So I went straight back to like 35 drinks. I'm taking shots, you know, doing Coke, blah, blah, blah. So I did that for about two weeks. And then I tried to get sober again. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to sober up again. So I managed to stay sober for about five days. um, And I started going into severe alcohol withdrawals. So during this time, the first night that I hadn't drank, I was kind of hearing stuff, nothing out of the ordinary because, you know, when you're drinking at that, that level, you, you do experience like auditory hallucinations, like while you're falling asleep and stuff like that. And I was like, this is nothing weird. I uh, didn't really sleep at all. The next day I started hearing things, but really poignant, like truths that were other voices. So like, not me. I don't think I'm auditory hallucinating. I think that the FBI has bugged my car and like, I'm hearing all of this stuff. Right. So just classic psychos, alcohol induced. You're not, you're not in Brooklyn on the base on the floor level (laughs) with Yiddish underneath. No, no. It it sounded like that. It sounded like that. You know what I mean? Shabbat Shalom to them, but um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Matzah or whatever. So, so I'm like, I'm at work and I'm, I'm having these, auditory hallucinations but it's the weird thing was was it was like saying things that were i hadn't thought of since i was like 10 years old like maybe an experience like 
do you remember XYZ? And I'll be like, whoa, that's really weird. So I was like, this is not me hallucinating. This has to be something else. So I guess to kind of make this go a little quicker, this happened for like three days. And towards Take your time. the end of the the end of the third day, it started getting really, really crazy. And so towards the end of the third day, and I I I mind you, I told my parents, I was living with my parents at the time. I was renting a room from them and I told them. And they were like, okay, we're going to get you into a rehab on Friday. Um, like you're, you're having some like serious psychological things going on. Um, mind you, my family is Catholic. I was raised Catholic, but at this time I was sort of like a, almost like a transcendental nihilist. I was really into like Nietzsche and like sort of like transcending the idea of humanity through like the fact that we're all going to die and the existential dread of that. You know what I mean? I'm kind of this like postmodern kind of guy. So, so we're going into this last day and, and I'm having like serious hallucinations. Like I think I'm being gang stalked. I'm thinking there's people out to get me. I convinced myself that my girlfriend was in the FBI and you know, I'm having some, I'm pretty out there, but this night as the night kind of started to to take over and and these hallucinations would get worse at night what happened was like i woke up uh i was trying to fall asleep and my body was contorting itself almost like in like an exorcism movie where like you can't i can't control anything i'm contorting all up and then this demonic voice tells me like stand up and go look in the mirror um mind you i can't control my body this other worldly thing is controlling my body a demon right I, I would say i'm fully possessed that's what i would say and i'm just basing this off of like what i experienced right so i go in front of the mirror and it tells me to get on my knees and to bow to the mirror and i'm like what the fuck this like and i can't control my body so that happens i start bowing to the mirror and then i start like pissing myself like uncontrollably and as i look up into the mirror i'm a full like demon like on fire massive horns it's like looks like the stereotypical idea of like satan or whatever um and i can't like control anything and i'm like freaking the fuck out internally so i'm having this crazy experience and then basically it told me to walk outside so at my parents' home, where they live, in their front yard, there's this big statue of Jesus in the middle of the front front lawn. So I walk outside, and it tells me to go up to the statue. And as I'm walking, I'm, I'm again, I'm not controlling myself. So this thing is like telling me, okay, you're allowed to walk now. So I walk up, I start walking up to the statue, and as I'm walking, there's like dead bodies all around me. One of them was like my ex-girlfriend who was like, this sounds weird, but like twerking and as her body was decomposing and I'm seeing all of these, I was like in hell, right? Like a literal mental hell. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? This is so crazy. And so I stand in front of this Jesus statue and it says like, look up to the sky. So I look up and then I'm not even controlling this, but I start screaming like as loud as I possibly can. It's like 3 a.m. So my parents run outside and are like, what the fuck is going on? I'm shaking uncontrollably. I had also taken all of my clothes off besides my underwear. So this is like, it's just insane. And they know I've been hallucinating. They know I've been going through all these alcohol withdrawals and everything. So they're like, hey, you need to come inside and lay on the couch. 
And so, so they sit me on the couch and what happens is as I'm sitting there, um, I like lay down and like everyone kind of goes back to bed and I'm laying there and I start experiencing, um, like heaven, like in my mind and I'm meeting, like I met like, uh, Christ. Right. And he was like, he, he was crying and he was like, I'm sorry. I had to put you through all this. This is what you needed to come back to, to me. Right. Mind you, I didn't believe in like any of this at the time. And so I'm like, you know, this is like insane. And I'm in heaven. I'm fully experiencing everything. Right. And then all of a sudden I like stand up and I'm laying on the couch. So I'm standing above like my body laying on the couch. And I think that like my parents are like in on what's going on. Like, I think that they're experiencing what I'm experiencing and I'm like, Oh shit. Like everything is cool. I like, guess it's fine. Right. And I'm, and so I'm seeing myself still laying there. And then I experienced my parents getting up and tending to like my body as I'm laying there. And so then I experienced, I, I, I walked over to the TV and I started looking into the TV and it's almost like, then like I collapsed and then there was another version of myself and my parents went over and tended to that. And so that happened probably like 10 times within the living room. Mind you, while this is happening, I'm running around my living room screaming at the top of my lungs and I'm experiencing mentally. So I'm watching all these versions of myself fall, but in the, in my mind, do you know like those movies where it will like zoom out of earth and it will show everything? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so, okay. So I'm experiencing that and I'm experiencing all of the greatest works of all time being constructed. The Michael and like, like Da Vinci and Mona Lisa and Michelangelo and David and like every, just everything you could ever imagine. I'm experiencing everything everywhere all at once. That's like the way I would describe it. Like a time-lapse almost like you're, you're, you're watching things just kind of move and I've, form together. I'm watching history, like the war, the history of humankind, every, I'm seeing everything, right? Wow. While this is happening, I'm experiencing selves of me dying. And then while I'm experiencing that everything, I see all of my lives I could have ever possibly lived, infinite lives, right? And I, I lived through my mom's life, my dad's life, and then I lived through my brother and my sister's lives to the end of their lives. And then I'm, I exp I'm like seeing all of this and I'm what it's, it's kind of coming to me that Oh, I'm like, there's something inside of me. I need to get it out. And while this is happening, I'm seeing a giant black, like Komodo dragon, like in my soul. I can't see it, but I know it's there, but I can feel it, but I can see it. It's like, it's almost like if someone's in the room with you, you know, they're there, even if you don't see them, right? It was like that. And while this is happening, the only thing I could describe it is, is, is if, my soul was like the sun, right? And this dragon was wrestling with the sun, which was my soul. And there was, 
it was their soul. And then once this had happened, it made sense to me that this dragon was like, I had this friend who was a really bad influence, right? And the dragon was like his soul. And it basically, what happened in my head was God or the universe told me like every person has a negative and this person is your negative and you, your soul has to defeat this soul. And it's like, in order for the sun to rise every day, you have to defeat this every day. And I was like, that's, what does that mean? Right? So while this is happening, my body's contorting, I'm running around the living room screaming. What my parents are actually do is filming me, but I'm seeing them tends to all of these past parts of myself. And so I'm basically having to wrestle this. My soul is wrestling this dragon thing and it's happening over and over and it's happening infinite times, but every day is passing while this is happening. I know this is a lot. I'm trying to describe like this experience that I made it. me. Okay, cool. Keep going. So I love it. I'm, ex I'm experiencing this. Um, and so this is all going on and I'm like, having visions of like Christ and like his life. And I lived through Christ's life and I'm like living through my dad's life. Strangely enough, like this is the weirdest part. Like I saw like Sam Tripoli and it was Sam Tripoli. Like was God was like, everything he says is right, which is weird. That was like a weird thing that, you know, I don't know. And so I'm going through all of this shit. And what ends up happening is, is I collapse onto my couch and so then these EMTs are working on me like, oh, he's, he's going in. I was going into cardiac arrest, having a heart attack. And so as all of that's happening, you know, my mom is still filming everything. Cause she's like, this is so crazy that he's, that this happened. Like, I don't know, you know, so I guess to fast forward from there, I end up in the hospital and while I'm in the hospital, Actually, I'm going to backtrack for one second. While I'm laying there and I'm experiencing all of this stuff, I'm, I am I don't know that I'm dying, but I know something is going on. And so I, I can, I'm on this spiritual plane where I can communicate with like God and I'm talking to Christ and like all this stuff. And I, I go, can you tell me what the secret to everything is? And God God, like just this voice just said, like, everything is music. And once he said that, everything around me became this like cosmic dance where all of my movements were in time with nothing and everything. So then I collapse onto the couch and these EMTs are working on me and they're like, what's your name? All this stuff. I don't remember any of this but I remember the sounds as this is happening and everything was in perfect time. Like all it was, a, it was a symphony of like sound. Right. So they put me into the, into the ambulance and like, there was a, a beeping machine for like my heart and stuff. And it was like, it sounded like a song. It was like fucking crazy, especially being a musician. I'm like, this is insane. And so as I get to the hospital, I realize my brain, like I could feel like my third eye was like searing and my like consciousness was like, Oh, you're hopping through timelines to get to the right one because you, you're dying. And you're basically my consciousness knew that I was hopping through these different timelines. And as I came to that realization, 
I was able to speak to like my higher self, like almost on another dimension. And I was having conversations with like my girlfriend's consciousness that was like in this other realm and was like saying like, Oh, you have to think this or this is going to happen. And then you'll, you die and you go to this reality. And so like I'm hopping through timelines, which is where, I finally came to this conclusion that like, I think quantum suicide is like a thing where you basically don't ever, your consciousness never dies and that you're continually, I know this sounds super crazy. This is just what I experienced. So, oh, well, you're using this term that's unfamiliar to me, but what you're describing in all intensive purposes is, is a near death experience. And as somebody who was also raised Catholic, and then found my way towards other belief systems, you know, the idea or the notion of an afterlife from my understanding as a kid, it was very constrained to this very dogmatic version of heaven that was like this rule, you know, there's this rule book that if you don't follow it, you don't get in. And what you're describing is, I mean, it's really more of a, not even in Eastern, because it's where this reincarnation has survived in the Eastern philosophies, but it's a, it's a naturally human instinct to believe in the afterlife. This is something that anthropologists and people who research religion in different cultures have shown that reincarnation is a universal belief. Now, there is a sort of modern context to what you're saying, and I am a little bit wary about that term, because I wonder, you know, and maybe you feel differently so please elaborate but do you think that term quantum suicide might lead somebody to take their own life in an effort to reincarnate into a better life not that i'm saying that's impossible but i i feel like that's a very severe and <laughs> dangerous idea to be sharing with people not not saying you're responsible for anything like that you know, you didn't invent the term quantum suicide, but do you think like that term might be, I don't know, a little dangerous yeah, to the, the I, right I, people? I do yeah, I do think the term is like not accurate. That's just like what I've seen it described as. Because basically like I was trying to like categorize this experience that I had had with like having conversations with people who are, you know, kind of like in the same community. And that's sort of like the only way that's like the only way that I like found it fitting but that being said, like, it was weird because like, while I was experiencing these, like, I guess like other timelines or something of me dying, there was this inherent fear that like, that I also saw, like I would be reincarnated again as something new if I, this version died. So like I did, while I was having all of these like grandiose visions and stuff, I I literally did experience like almost like a like a sperm entering another egg that that I knew was me and I was like oh I'm gonna it was almost like if you could like mix together Buddhist idea of reincarnation and like samsara mixed with like this like Christ heaven weird combination that's like what it was I don't think that's weird at all man and I'm really glad that you asked to talk about this with me and you you also asked you know to bring this up with sam and i could see why considering sam was kind of a part of the vision in a way and 
I don't think that's strange. I think Sam is a very bright influence, especially on people who are going through, you know, struggles with addiction and and sobriety. I mean, Sam is a huge, huge advocate of sobriety, and he puts himself out there and his struggles out there. And I know dozens and dozens of people have reached out to him just to say, hey, thank you. you. You made my life better just by doing your podcast. And maybe there's a part of this sort of, intangible world where you know whether you're a fan of tinfoil hat or not like sam is out there in the ocean of frequencies and because you picked up on him at some point in your life like that energy kind of nestle its way into this experience you're having but i mean you're describing something really wild. It's not at all unbelievable. I think what what it is is you're just really good at describing it in a lucid way. I think most people are so overwhelmed by these types of experiences that it's hard to describe them afterwards. You know, I, I have had people on the show talk about near death experiences and how life changing they are, but yours yours does seem a little bit more. I mean, I guess self-induced in the sense that like one near-death experience I've heard of on this show happened because a guy fell in a river. You know, that's not necessarily, you know, his own fault, sort of is, but it was an accident, right? Whereas you you, right. you took like the slow road to like kind of destroying your life and Christ was like crying and saying to you like, hey, I'm sorry I had to put you through that trial by fire, but this was the only way to show you that you were self-destructing yourself right i mean is that kind of the message you got in that moment or that feeling yeah 100 percent. and and like i mean you know it's this weird thing where it's like i feel like like kind of the thing where like you know bowing down in front of the mirror this like thing was making me do is like because ultimately the idea of like satan or is really this egoic like monster where it's like you become like everything that's disgusting. You know, like I was just, just like consuming more and more, more alcohol. And then like, I lost my record deal, you know, and, and I'm blaming either my band and it was this guy's fault. And I'm the guy, I'm the front man. I'm the guy who wrote all the songs. I'm the guy who got the record deal and it's everyone else's fault. So you're in my entire life had become this like angry, can't cope with the reality that like, I'm the problem. And so when you're faced with like, this and then you see someone you know like christ like crying and being like dude i'm sorry but that's what you needed and and i remember i had this moment where i was like oh i'll never i'll never drink or use again because and i haven't like i've been sober for going on 16 months and it was just this like crazy it was almost like the ultimate form of like having to submit you know, like, I mean, I'm like experiencing, see, I'm, I was seeing like paintings I'd never seen, like be painted, like, you know, or like a crazy thing is like, I, I saw like my grandfather pass away and, and what, what I saw happened is what happened. And so like, and I've even talked to my parents about this and like, I'm like, Hey, I saw this and then it happens and they're like, Whoa, like that's how, you know, but it, it's just crazy. Like, it's weird because like the thing with like Sam is like I've listened since episode one, like 2016. Dude, I don't even I, I I think the first episode is actually not 
the real episode that's up now. I have a conspiracy about that. Where like the first episode I remember was about the black cube. And I think it's a different one now, but like off the grid, Ryan, like I've been listening forever. And so like picking up on those weird frequencies of like, just like, like what you're experiencing, you know, like everything, every, like experiencing everything. And then just these little things like coming in, like everything is music or like, this is like, I think what you're saying of like that frequency is correct. Like it is this weird thing where like, you're just you're tapped into like whatever it is you're tapped in with all right ladies and gentlemen thank you for tuning into the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast this is the point in the episode where we take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we have a new sponsor jumping on the support wagon that's right mind mend mushrooms you got to go to mindmendmushrooms.com and check out what they have of course you got to be 18 or older to go to mindmendmushrooms.com it's a very very special offer wink wink i think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about when I say microdosing. Luckily for us, this there's a sort of gray area with mushrooms. So go and check out mindmendmushrooms.com while you still can and use the promo code CRAZY to save 15% off. They've got capsules, they've got lemonade mix, and they've got merch. So if you're cooped up inside this winter feeling warm and cozy, consider putting something special in your house hot cocoa and microdose the midwinter melancholy away and while you're at it roll something up put it in the hit kit you know the hit kit the number one way to get lit my friend garrett makes amazing gadgets called hit kits they store your lighter your blunt your spliff your joint whatever you're smoking on whatever you're rolling up don't fear losing it ever again don't worry about getting your lighter taken from you or losing it somewhere i used to always get a out of my car and my lighter would go flying off my lap no longer with the hit kit use the promo code crazy at checkout and save now all right now let's take a brief moment for our dynamic ads which i have no control over folks and then we'll be right back to the show of course if you want an ad free version of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast go over to patreon or substack today sign up you get every episode of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast ad free all right now let's get back to the show right after this quick break you know what i'm saying well and i want to go back to what you said about it being somewhere in between buddhism and christianity because that's kind of where I was leaning towards when I brought Sam into the, the picture or at least commented on it because I feel like Sam has this very interesting view of spirituality in the world around us that not, you know, it's not common to find someone in his position that we can resonate with that has those sort of values and it, I don't know, it's kind of funny because he's like, you know, if you asked him, he wouldn't consider himself like a philosopher or anything like that. You know, he, he always says he's like, oh, I'm a dick joke comic, you know, to, right. that, that's his humble flex. Right. But when it comes to the reality of the situation, it's like he's connecting with millions of people in this way that 
I mean, you know, it borders on like, it borders on religion in that sense. Like, cause you had a near death experience where Sam was inherently kind of a part of it in this like meaningful way. It wasn't like you had like a hallucination and he just happened to be there like dancing around. Like it makes sense that he's a part of this overall story, you know, cause of what you were going through cause of what you you believe in like your life. You obviously are a huge Tim Fall Hat fan. If you've been listening since you know episode yeah, one, yeah, it's been a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's he's made an impression on you and and so many people. But yeah, I just I don't know if you would get that with like somebody you see on like The Masked Singer or one of those other bullshit you know TV shows. Like he's not even though he's in that realm of like oh yeah celebrities are comedians too. It's it's more authentic, and I'm not just saying this because I work for Sam. And I'm trying to blow smoke right. up his ass. Like I think he's doing something that's unique, and your experience is like validation of that in a sense. Right, and like you know, I have like a, I have a degree in philosophy, right? And the first thing you learn is like Socrates said, like you know, the only thing I know is that I don't know anything, you know, and, and that's sort of the approach of of you know, that's appealing to people because, you know, if you, you come into every conversation, like, you know, everything, you know, not a lot of people are going to want to listen. And, and that's sort of like how this ties into your question, which was like, how has my approach to like trying to quote unquote red pill people or whatever changed. And it's changed in that sense of like, you just make light of it and, and you kind of, you're open and accepting to like criticisms or, or whatever. And you understand that like, not everybody's going to be coming from this accepting place or understanding place, you know? And, and like, I've, you know, I have like my own two shows where I've, ex I've explained this a couple of times and everything. And it is a very, it's like a visceral retelling of something where it's like, you know, you're explaining something that's unexplainable and trying to use all of these ideas that you were shown it's kind of like trying to explain the color purple to someone who's never seen purple. It's like, do you know what I mean? And so yeah. when you have someone who's able to take the, the, the most far out ideas of like Florida's the garden of Eden and you know, like black Israelite stuff, or you're talking about like some guy who knows the scientific thing behind the speed of light slowing down. And you know, it, it's, it is this like weird happy medium, which is great. And I, I think like, you know, like one of the weirdest things of this like experience has just been um, like how much it does resonate with people when I tell them. Because usually you think you're going to tell somebody something like this and they're like, yeah, dude, you're nuts. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you're in good company, at least on this show. Uh, yeah, I, for I, sure. I've heard some <laughs> crazy things, but no, I, I think what you're saying, it reflects something that's deeper than just one religion. You know, and I think that's the trap a lot of people get funneled into with spirituality where they, for some reason or another, whether it's a fundamentalist or an extremist or some dogmatic view that gets burrowed into their mind, there's a deeper truth that's beyond these religions. And I think you're kind of expressing that, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, reincarnation in the sense that we have no will like in that process i think you know big idea with reincarnation is karma and what you do in this lifetime affects where you'll be in the next right. lifetime 
But I wonder if it's more of like a blend of some of these ideas. Like, I don't know where the life review thing comes from. I think that's a Christian thing where they talk about how St. Paul shows you like your, yeah. you know, your the what you did in your life, all the good and all the bad. And then you're t- determined whether you go to pass on to the pearly gates or whatever the story is, right? I think it's a little bit of a blending of all these stories where our life choices do amount to, you know, this trajectory that brings us to a specific unique destination based on our arc, right? It's not just like a ladder that you climb up or not. You know, it's a unique arc that each human goes on. And maybe, you know, when you do things that go against the all, you know, you live a life that's self-destructive, you need to like, I don't know, just as quickly detox all of that. Like, do you feel like this was almost like a spiritual detox for you? Like, yeah. it's just kind of like your mind couldn't like, that's what people describe with ayahuasca. You know, it kind of like takes out all those desires to continue with addiction. Yeah. So two things uh, with that is like, yeah, I feel like, you know, in the sober community, which I was a big part of AA and I went to rehab and all that stuff. Um, you know, they they call it, there's two varieties, like of the learned variety, which is like, oh, I learned that drinking is bad. And I have these examples of I lost my job and I lost my license. And then there's a the burning bush variety, which is something like this happening. You know, usually it's like a, a car accident or you got arrested. Um, mine was like experiencing, like you said, the all and not having to die <laughs> or whatever. But the other thing you talked about, which is interesting, was like how it transcends sort of religion or or something. And what I like kind of think is it's almost like a, the Carl Jungian idea of like the archetypes, how you have, you know, the everyman and like the trickster. Well, this was actually extremely interesting. So I was talking about the idea of my soul or the sun wrestling with this Komodo dragon on my show on my Patreon. And I had a longtime listener and he's a good friend of mine. His name, his name is big weld. He, he was like, what you're describing is sounds like the story of raw versus a pop, a pop, a popis. And I was like, what is that? And so basically in Egyptian mythology, the way the sun rises is raw has to go into the underworld and he has to get the sun back from this giant snake god Apophis, which rules the underworld. And then this, he wins, and then the sun rises. And then as the sun goes back down, the Komodo dragon or whatever it is, Apophis takes the sun back. And so when he told me that, I was like, that's like fucking so insane. It's like a almost like an archetypal you know, and, and kind of like maybe some sort of hallucinogenic DMT thing in the brain that might, that maybe that's where that story comes from. Do you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. you, you, you're touching on something that, yeah, it's like this universal astral plane where all cultures, human ideas, everything that, you know, existed ever is there and it's not something that happened like once it's something that happened like it or or happens you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah. it's more moment momentary and ultimate 
than right. something in a book or a dream that you had once. Like it's something that's confronting. And right. I think the ancients, you know, you brought up the Egyptians, they didn't record things frivolously. Like everything that they recorded and they kept track of and the myths, it all was extremely meaningful, like to a T, right? right. So I don't, I don't doubt that at all that you were tapping into some sort of, sort of like a, like a, almost like, like a, an event experience. Like it's not, right. it's not something that happens once. It's something that happens in this certain circumstance, right? It's like a, right. it's like a result of spiritually ending up in that position. And then it's like a correction mechanism to put, yeah. to put like physical things on it but it's so yeah, like yeah consciousness yeah, is so ineffable you know it's hard to yeah it's it, it like the way you describe it is like it, it is that's like kind of how i would have to like describe sort of that experience the other thing that was crazy too was like i went so they took me to the hospital and my heart rate was like 170 and mind you this is i'm on no drugs i've haven't done anything haven't drank so i'm i'm, I'm going into cardiac arrest and I guess what I did was I started, um, they tied, they had to strap me to the bed cause I was thrashing a lot. But I guess what I started doing was I started bringing all of my extremities in and flexing my body as hard as I possibly could. And then I was releasing everything and I was doing this over and over. And I have like a sort of, sort of like memory of this, but not at all. And the next day, my, my family, you know, came in to check on me and the doctor was like, Oh, does he do, I had to write it down. What is it called? Does he know how to do the Valsalva maneuver? And my mom was like, my son weighs 250 pounds and he's a raging alcoholic. He doesn't even know how to touch his fucking toes. Like, what are you talking about? And he was like, Oh, he was doing this like Eastern breathing practice while he was in the bed to slow his heart rate down. He's like, this is like what people do like in the military, like if they're like a sniper. He's like, yeah, people like do this to clear their heart rates and to slow it down. Well, and, and you know, this doctor is very, I'm sure, pragmatic and living in the modern, you know, materialist worldview. But, you know, what if it's more that your infinite consciousness that is tapped into all experiences, all humanity was able to bring that information to your neuro, your, your neurology in that instance to save you. Like, you know, like you obviously aren't sitting here like with a secret degree in Russian breathing <laughs> yeah, techniques. No, yeah. Like you're not hiding that from us. This is something that obviously just happened and the doctor knew about it. But how many people even would recognize that technique, you know, even amongst doctors, right? Like, I don't know that that's even something many doctors would immediately know about. But it's very interesting because you, you're saying you, you, like brought all your limbs in squeezed and then released right seems to me and, like uh, it's almost like uh like instinctual like in in your brain stem there's like information like do this movement like almost the same way like when a cockroach gets flipped on its back it like has a instinctual movement to flip itself over you know yeah that's like what it was it was just so it was so weird, man. Like it, it was just like you hear these things that like sort of confirm 
that there is this layer of reality that we can't see or touch. And it, and it's like, like I remember when, when my friend told me the raw story that like freaked me out because, you know, I'm coming from this like educated place or like, you know, I have two degrees, I have a degree in economics and philosophy. And I went to the university of Oregon and I was a philosophy major and I've read Nietzsche and I've, you know, so like I have like deconstructed this idea of like there being a spiritual self and, you know, so like when you hear these things, it's like super jarring because you, you try to like, I guess for me personally, I tried to like skeptic everything I had experienced. And like, as far as like the Christ thing, I was like, okay, that's real. That's real. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian in the sense of like, I'm a follower of Christ. Right. But like everything else, you're like, there's no way. And then you hear these things when you talk about them. And especially when you talk candidly about them, like on a silly, like comedy podcast, right? Like, you know, I'm not there trying to like start a cult. It's like, I'm like, I'm trying to get a $200 on Patreon. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so that like, it's just so fucking crazy, man. Like, it's just really crazy. Well, and I think this is the, the culture, the times that we're living in, you know, especially guys in our generation, I'm going to assume we're around the same age. I was born in 94. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I got that sense. It's not just the hairstyle in common, but what, what, what I, what I'm getting at is like podcasting obviously has exploded in popularity. And I think it's because we grew up with an option of something authentic, like before us, they had some authentic media, but for the most part, it's a scripted stuff that goes through layers and layers and layers of approval. Whereas we grew up with this like free form internet thing that wasn't even developed yet. You know, people would be like, Oh, go to lemonparty.com and you'd be like, what the fuck is this? You know, or like you'd tell somebody like, I'll oh, go to God productions and you'd see all these crazy conspiracies on these forums and you know, all sorts of weird stuff was available and you're just like, all right, I, television is not the same anymore you know and now what do people like getting entertained by listening to people talk is this authentic you know and it's going back to the kind of ideas of like instinct and and what humans are meant to to be doing it's kind of primal to be learning information through conversation it's the it's the main way humanity has transmitted information for at least our understanding of the majority of time, right? Like the Gutenberg press has only been around for 500 years. So writing and it was very scarce before 500 years ago and reading for information is it's still a part, it's a different part of your brain than what's going on when you listen to something. Right. And I mean, shit, most of the stuff I listen to is comedy podcasts. I, you know, it's, it's like a relief for me to, to live in a world where, people aren't taking things so seriously, you know? <laughs> oh no, a hundred percent. And like, you know, it, it's sort of how you can get these sort of ideas like out these like complex, all being all knowing omnipresent things that like, you know, like you can turn it into like a meme and, and have a little like silly show about it. And, and it's, it's something that like means something, you know, that's, that's like a big thing that I've kind of, um, notice and especially with sort of like more people like more our age like the millennial sort of generation like we there's an air of unironicness un that kind of goes with like the genuineness that like sort of we have whereas like 
I know kind of like, you know, like Gen X, I'm sorry, Gen Z, they kind of are like super ironic, I feel like, about everything. Like everything has this like kind of like sneering irony to it, which I think is really funny. But sometimes you need to get the like the poignantness of, you know, like an experience like this or or sort of anything, you know? Yeah, I think I'm just socially inept when it comes to memes like i i can't make a meme to save my life i'd probably seem like a complete boomer if i tried to put a meme together and i'm not really even good at like finding funny memes you know like i'll laugh at them when they're funny but that's like a an art that many people our age are are tuned into that i'm just i'm totally i can't relate but i i respect it and it's something that i think has changed consciousness whether it's social media itself or this meme idea like 2016 like you you mentioned being like deep in the queue some of my buddies were deep in the queue i've always been like kind of that <laughs> hipster guy who's like oh i already know about this man so q for me a lot of it was like oh i already heard about this you know like i i was just trying to hipster it out i didn't get too deep into to q because i felt like i i knew knew what was coming had no idea what was coming but i thought the I did. storm dude the storm was coming dude but whether dude. whether q or not like memes kind of changed what was going on in the world back then right i mean it, it's undeniable yeah. keck the frog pepe everything right it's it's like this massive introduction to chaos magic sigil magic in some ways but also just like a breakdown of traditional media because people were so used to you know getting some talking head regurgitated nonsense that seeing a funny little picture with like the truth exactly what you want to hear no bullshit and funny you know and it's just again like i'm not the guy to wax poetically about memes because i'm so dumb when it comes to memes but i feel like there is an art there it's well it's the whole 2016 like trump election of like meme magic you know and, mm. and it's it's like you're saying it is like a form of like chaos magic and like sigiling i mean you could argue that like memes are sigils you know like the whole the whole idea of you know like like a hyper sigil quote unquote a hyper sigil is like casting a sigil into the fourth dimension and like sort of you know like the comic book writer grant morrison created this idea of hyper sigiling and essentially he would he made a comic book that was like his life like it would try to script his life and his life actually ended up falling into what the comic was and so, like, all of that stuff is, like, I'm totally into, like, all of that. Like, I think all of that is, like, super real. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, kind of, like, going on, like, the frequency thing. It's, like, you know, if you have, like, a, if you're in a negative mood when you enter a room, people are going to, like, pick up on that, like, vibe, mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like that's sort of culturally, you know, like, I was kind of talking about, like, the ironicness of, like, maybe Gen, Gen Z, and it's sort of, like, it does kind of resonate with the idea that like memes are kind of these snarky little ideas that like sort of embed themselves like into, into a culture, like kind of, you know, just like the Kekistanis and all that stuff. Like that stuff's super real, dude. I think it's all so interesting. I'm super into all that. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't help but take it back to this term, uh, quantum suicide. Like tell, tell me more about that. Cause I feel like, 
like I don't quite understand where the the quantum part comes in or the suicide part. Like I, I'm still a little lost on why that term resonates with you. Because to so, me, it sounds like what you're describing is a, a near-death experience or like a life selection, almost like what people describe when they have pre-birth memories, if you've ever heard about that, where like Sam has a joke about it where the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you know, the, your your children watch you bang yeah, your, yeah, yeah. and they choose, you know, who their parents are going to be based on your, your, your prowess. Which, which I said that I experienced that. Like I saw right. like the, the egg and like I saw that. And and I think the the term quantum suicide, it's not really a term. I guess like I never thought of like the term, like what until you brought it up really. I think it's just the way like it's the label that I heard from someone that was like, oh, that's what this idea is. And it is the idea that you're able to hop into other realities. And then as you do that, I think what it, I think it's almost like a subconscious thing where like the old, you know, if I hop into this reality, this version of me is now dead. I don't think it's like an actual, like a suicide thing. Mm. That's like what, what I was kind of like the way it was explained to me. And I think the term might also come from, do you know, John McAfee? Yeah. So I guess he had this journalist come over and he was discussing the idea with the journalist and he played Russian roulette with the journalist and he had a gun, you know, six chambers with one bullet in it and he pulled the trigger five times and he didn't die. And then he shot the last bullet into the sand and there was like nothing in it. So it's like this idea that there's some sort of intentionality behind consciousness and the way it's able to shift through multiple realities. Like the way I would sort of describe like I guess my concept of like sort of a consciousness would be like a blanket. So if you have a blanket, if there was like one single thread that went into the middle of the blanket and then it stems off into all of these other threads that, you know, go upwards is you can sort of go along any of these threads consciously and choose which sort of timeline you'd like to be on at any given point. And I think the idea with that would be those other versions of you are dying as you're hopping through these timelines. Um, well, let me explain why I take umbrage with the, because everything you're saying resonates with me. And I feel like that term almost implies like a level of escapism that I don't get at all when I talk to you. Like when I talk to you, I don't have the sense that you're trying to escape your life. Like I get the opposite. Right. Like you're actually like immersed in your own life and you're really, you're taking a new lease on life in a sense. Right. And I, I wonder if like, cause my, my idea with reincarnation has always kind of been like, you can't escape this life by killing yourself because you're just going to end up facing those, right. that karma in your next life. So I wonder, like, not that you created this term or anything, but I wonder if it was created to give this sort of nihilistic interpretation right. of reincarnation that, you know, I, I'm seeing more and more on TikTok, a lot of conspiracy theories that used to have a optimistic spin now have a really pessimistic spin. Because part of learning this stuff was feeling empowered, like, 
oh, my school is lying to me. Oh, my college is lying to me. Oh, my parents were lying to me. Pot's not bad. It's not going to kill me. You know, like for me, you know, as a stoner, like that was one of the big ones for me. Like when I realized, oh, like I was scared of something that grows out of the ground and is perfectly fine. Obviously, you you can abuse any substance and, and you can definitely abuse cannabis. But for me, it was something that kind of... You know, broke down the the psychological yeah, barriers yeah. that were built up by programming and conditioning in, in the school and church and, and society. So, but yeah, I don't get that sense that you're you're trying to escape your life. So that's I guess that's where my like sense of like, well, what's up with quantum suicide comes from, you know? Yeah, that's actually very interesting because I I didn't even which is weird because I think about everything I didn't think about the term, and so because it is kind of the exact opposite of like how I like live, which is super like feeling all of the emotions, like Mm. living through, you know, going through whatever it is. It's just like, you know, I was in rehab and it's like, you're there, you are scared, you're sad, you're anxious. Like it sucks, you know, like, so that is very interesting that there might be this sort of, maniacal idea behind the reason it's named like quantum suicide because it does give it like a sort of escapist idea do you know what i'm saying yeah and i do have a a habit of finding the maniacal reasoning (laughs) behind things so yeah i i don't know it could just be my own paranoia uh and I, i don't know if tiktok is necessarily where this idea is being circulated but when i saw like the notes you sent me and I was thinking about it over the past few days. I was like, yeah, I wonder where this comes from, you know? And I'm glad right. we, we kind of got to circle the drain on this idea a bit because, you know, it's a realm that people are familiar with. You know, the idea of reincarnation is kind of familiar to people. But until you have a death experience or a near-death experience, how would you ever prove it? And even you know, near-death experiences are questionable because you're still alive, right? So, you know, there's this whole idea that science, and I don't agree with this, but just to place you know, science advocate here, you know, this scientists will tell you, oh, well, it's just a hallucination from chemicals being re- released when your brain starts to die. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how... How how are these scientists saying that? Like, it's just... Uh, I don't know. What well, do you so- think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, like, <laughs> as someone who is, like, science is, like, fake and gay, you know, I, I definitely think that, like, the the term quantum suicide probably is this sort of, like, way to, like, scientifically sort of approach um, this idea that, like, on the quantum level, there is some sort of four-dimensional people blah, 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 that's going on, like, which is actually now I like hate the term a lot, you know, like I, I usually call it my, my, I call it my psychic ascension, which I think is like, no, really, and that's exactly kind of funny, you know? Well, and that's kind of what humans have been doing for a long time, man. You know, like in shamanic ceremonies, you would undergo a near death experience that was, you know, brought upon by your tribal whoever your father and his uncle you know his brothers and friends and whatever and they would put you through this experience that made you a man in the in this society and probably gave you a great degree of confidence to do the very hard and 
tasks that took a lot of bravery, you know, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of this primitive world that we supposedly lived in. I mean, again, that's kind of sciencey in itself, but you know, it's undeniable cultures have these rites of passages. One of my like foundational experiences was talking to my friend Amos, who was raised in Arizona in a Native American community. He's Native American. And one of the things that he described going through was the eagle bone ceremony. And you might have heard of this, but for people who haven't, it's, I mean, hearing it from me will not give you the same impact as hearing it from somebody who has actually done it. Okay. I'll just say that. So what I'm about to say is a great disservice to this very sacred ceremony. So I'll keep it very brief, but essentially what you do is you take eagle talons, some of the sharpest bones there are, and you, you slice your chest and put them basically behind like your chest tendon. It's like these muscles that are right here in your chest so that you're basically suspended. It's a lot like what these BDSM people do when they hook themselves right, right. up. And so imagine that, but instead of like hypodermic, like metal and like with like Kleenexes. You know, and like alcohol. Yeah. Like yeah. alcohol. It's all sanitized. Imagine yeah. like eagle bones and like rawhide leather straps and like a, a tree or just some pole that's suspended in the middle of the desert. And they just leave you there hanging until you either fall down or, you know, get the strength to pull yourself off. I mean, I don't know the, the specifics of it, but, it, you know, it's one of these rites of passages that basically brings you to... I mean, as close to death as you can get without actually dying. And that's just one example, you know. That's something that some real badass natives did and still do. And there are white people who have done the eagle bone ceremony. It's not like this, you know, native power thing where they're, like, racist about it. But it is, it's very sacred. So it's not something they're just, like, asking MTV to come film and, you know, go, come watch this. Right, right. right. But yeah, I mean, there's tons of examples. You know, you go on YouTube and you type in like tribal ceremonies, you know, people do things like jump off of huge platforms in the jungle in, in Indonesia and Polynesia, you know, and like, it's, it's something that I think humans today in our modern world of comfort, like we, now we don't have that, right? We have like a midlife crisis instead, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, and that kind of stuff is really like lacking in, in just sort of, you know, like reality in like the Western world today is there's no, yeah, there's like no initiations or there's no, do you know what I mean? Unless you're doing like that weird, have you seen that Freemason video where they like, hit the guy with the hammer or whatever and they like reenact the whole thing well as i'm cheesy as i'm talking about the indigenous cultures i'm like yeah and we got to talk about how the secret societies have basically taken all of that stuff and just made it you know for the select few you have this really cool picture that's been capturing my attention behind you the the steps of the different degrees of freemasonry and you know skull and bones is a a group i study being that I, I grew up not too far from Yale. And uh, yeah, they have their own near-death experience ritual. You lie in a coffin and, it's ex, you know, express all your <laughs> 320, dirty secrets. 322, baby. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, so. see, it, it's weird, too. It, it, like, I guess, like, the secret thing is, like, odd. I, I remember 
when I was like going into AA because I did like 90 meetings, 90 days to like help me kind of once I got out of rehab, you know, I was in a sober living and you kind of, you got to kind of get yourself going because you're a little shaky. And I remember on one of the steps in rehab, you have to tell all of your, your like your secrets, all your bad stuff. And it reminded me of like, kind of like confession, like a Catholic faith. And it's just this, I remember doing it and I was like, this is kind of like weird. Like, this is kind of not, I kind of don't like this. And, you know, come to find out, like, you know, AA was like funded by like the Rockefellers and they gave the two original guys, they gave them $5,000, which is the equivalent to like, I don't know, 70 grand then or whatever. And it's right. just, you just start to see all like, I guess we're talking about talents, but like these talents, like in everything, you know what I mean? Like, well, it's, it's definitely a conspiracy that, you know, some people might not feel comfortable talking about. I have no affiliation to AA, but I definitely get a sense that it's culty, you know, just from knowing people who are part of it. But, you know, whatever works for them, it is weird that the guy who founded it wanted to, like, integrate psychedelics and the rest of them were kind of like, nah, we're not doing that. And, you know, when you consider how this whole drug crisis is being exacerbated by the same elite families it's like yeah problem you know crisis reaction solution tactics where they don't just create the problem they create something to mitigate the problem so instead of it being solved it actually exacerbates it over time right so you have this whole population that are you know basically (laughs) you know being used as drugged up cattle, you know, and, and then you get put into a program that, you know, I, I don't know if people pay money to be in AA, but if not, then I, I would kind of, I would think it's more about like, I don't know, keeping people in a certain social place so that they don't speak out against drugs in society, right? Because now they, they have this scarlet letter on them for the rest of their life like oh you're you're a former addict you're a sober person you don't engage in normal life you can't come to a bar and be a normal person right there's this like stigma still about that yeah and 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 that's part of the reason i i stopped sort of involving myself with aa was like i saw these people who like would say that it's the only way to stay sober or or whatever and it's kind of like I don't know. I had this like really crazy experience that like I don't even think about drinking and or using anymore. And I'm kind of here for this like because I'm told I'm supposed to be and it's the only way to get sober, right? That's like what everyone kind of believes and says. And it, it sort of creates this like this like structure where I don't know, you're constantly rehashing these stories of like back when I would drink, you know, and you have these dudes who, and I don't think there's anything wrong with AA. Like, I think if that's what you need, that's, that's great. But like, for me personally, there was this one guy in particular who would always stand out and he would tell the same story every week. And this dude was like in his eighties and he'd been sober 55 years or whatever. And it's, you know, he's telling a cautionary tale. I get it. But like, you're kind of just rehashing the same thing over and over every single day and you're doing it for 55 years. And it's like, you know, that's, that's a lot. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's you're kind of, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's just something that I kind of noticed. No, I think, I think it's important to talk about this, man, you know, and I'm somebody who smokes weed every day. So by some people's standards, I'm an addict, right? But 
it, it works for me. I like it. It's not forever. Someday I'll probably stop smoking as much as I do. But, but yeah, I do get this like kind of sense from people in the sober community that, you know, it, it's like a, it's a stigma that goes both ways. You know, it's almost isolating because there's a stigma on them about being sober, but then there's also a stigma on anybody who engages in anything intoxicant, even if it's a healthy use of it. Cause I think, you know, this, this like California sober thing that people are joking about now, like that's something that could work for people as well. Right. So there are, there's a whole miasma of options but it's very clear what the root of the problems are, and that's hard drugs and pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, cannabis, yeah, it's definitely an illegal drug in the sense that criminal gangs can make money off of it when it's prohibited. But if you did that with alcohol or any other product, it'd be the same story, coffee. Or anything, anything. yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and it's it, the thing that I started noticing too with AA was like, you know, they, they were like telling people like there was like some guys taking it in so far as like you don't need to take your bipolar meds to some people and stuff. And like those are considered drugs. Like there's some people who are like really into it and in this way that it feels unhealthy. And yeah. I was starting to get the sense that there were layers to sort of the groups of like there was groups within AA that would have groups of people that struggled with other things that maybe um, they would sequester themselves off within AA even. And that was the vibe I was starting to get where I was like, fucking peace, dude. I will, uh, I'll handle this myself, man. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it definitely, it has this sort of self-perpetuating sense to it where, you know, you, if you do feel like you're over it, but then you're like constantly reminding yourself about your mistakes. It's like, what about moving on? You know, like I think moving yeah, on is which, a very healthy thing to do. So you shouldn't feel, I don't think you should feel bad about that at all. I think that's a very smart decision to make is to be like, yeah. all right, I've had my fair share of this. It worked to a certain extent and I'm good. Well, and that's sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, that's sort of what you're talking about is like they provide these solutions that are not solutions at the end of the day because you still are told you have to be here a certain amount of times a week in order to right. get this. And then, okay, you're here for a year. Here's your chip. Here's your chip. Here's this. Here, and I get it, but it's, it's kind of like I said, it's like, you know, it works for me for a while. And then, well, we should be teaching on, but, people to regain their agency in life, to regain their empowerment, not making them feel like, okay, well now you're forever this lesser class of person you you need us otherwise you're, you're gonna because right. that is the sense that i've heard and not from sam directly you know my comment isn't really about sam at all it's actually about some other comedians that i'm just fans of in the podcast community i think sam is actually pretty um you know he has a different reason for being a part of AA. He gets like a sense of like, I'm helping people by being a part of it. Cause he, he's right. not afraid to share his story. He does that for a living. You know, he, he's, he's a funny person. He likes to, to be in those situations. But I have, I have seen with other comics, particularly in the New York city scene where it's, it becomes like this culty kind of thing where it's like, Oh yeah, no, we're sober. Like marijuana's gay. Like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey man, like there are people who, 
who smoke weed because it helps them with their arthritis. There's people who smoke weed because it helps them with their their glaucoma. Like it's, it's not a drug, you know, it's a real deal medicine. And, you know, I don't need to get on my stoner soapbox here, but, but yeah, that's all I'll really say about that. I think, you know, the, when, when it comes to drugs in this country, pharmaceutical companies are probably the the worst offenders and the federal government is is the second worst or if not the the worst because they're the ones who should be regulating this so and they're not they're they're letting cocaine come over the border they're letting opiates come over the border they're not concerned with china's allegiances with mexican cartels and if they are they're not getting enough funding to actually do anything about it you know i mean i'm sure there's great people in law enforcement and the military who don't want to see drugs trafficked into the country. But obviously there are politicians and, and CEOs and pharmaceutical scumbags, you know. Oh yeah. Dude. You know, who, well, I mean, who just dude, push we had, this we stuff. had we had Bill Clinton like flying cocaine in through Arkansas, dude. And my my I have family from Arkansas. It's like where my roots are on my dad's side. And it's like, dude, they know about it. And they're just like guys. Do you right. know what I mean? And so I mean, I don't know, man. Like, that's like the whole point of like why I, you know, like I, I'd been podcasting a while before this whole thing had happened and, you know, got back into it. But that's like sort of, you know, it, it's funny that how this actually all tied in this like big story into like you kind of asking how I like bring things up in a different way. And it's it's like this way now. It's like just kind of chilling and doing a podcast and, you know, you tell these stories and then you have people who respond with like, oh, this is this Egyptian story. This is crazy. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, it's, it's like this, it's very interesting how the truth reveals itself to everybody. Like I have this philosophy professor um, and he, he would, he would always say the truth will do like three things. It will either set you free. It will destroy you. Then there was another one. I don't really remember what it is at the moment, but it, it's sort of the truth. Like the truth will always sort of come out in one way or another. Now, how people react to it is another thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know much about the mattresses in those tunnels, but they don't look they don't look too good. You know, like yeah. how, I can't I can't go into the bank and bring that up. Not the. Well, be too on the nose, but well, let's let's get back to something you do have first experience or firsthand experience of, you know, because I did want to ask you: Do you think that being in the music industry enabled this, uh, you know, self-destructive, you know, bend that really took you towards a, a good bend? That you know, now you're not on drugs, your life isn't you know falling apart, things are actually good for you. That's awesome. God bless you, man. That's incredible. But do you think the music industry was sort of enabling that? Do you think like your, you know, headspace allowed you to to really see what was going on back then? Like, are there any weird stories you have from that time? Because, you know, the conspiracy community is fraught with stuff about the music industry. And you, you said that little anecdote about your dad seeming to kind of know some things, but not really want to talk about yeah, some man. things. How yeah, much can so you talk about? What, what I will say is like my dad, uh, he was way bigger than I ever was or was going to be like, he, he worked with Bon Jovi. He like did a bunch of stuff with John Bon Jovi back then. And he has some stories for sure. And like one of them that really comes to mind is I guess he was going to be chosen to play Jim Morrison and Oliver Stone's The Doors movie because he looked a lot like 
Jim Morrison. And the meeting with Oliver Stone ended with my dad, like throwing him across like a room um, and leaving probably well, definitely due to some uh, weird, weirdo stuff going on. But uh, I definitely, from my personal experience, there's like a lot of weird shit going on with it. And it reveals itself very in like very particular and incremental ways. So, I was, I had just turned 21 and I was offered a six figure contract with my band that I was in. And there was always little hints of esotericism and weird little occultic things that you wouldn't pick up on if you didn't really know sort of what was going on. But it was just very little things like, um, ordering food from like a place like three towns over that has a very specific odd name. I don't know if that makes sense. Like there was like this pizza place with like this, like it, it had a weird, had a weird name and it was like ordering food from there. And it's like, why are we ordering food from there? It's 45 minutes away. And it was just like really weird, like, uh, like weird tarot card shit where you're like, this is weird. Or like, Oh, you can't, you know, use this imagery. This, this lyric needs to be removed just like really weird shit like that. And it's, yeah, I'm kind of dancing around a lot of like specificities. Yeah. There's a lot of weird shit going on with the dude, like a lot, like a lot. And it definitely a lot. It definitely led to me like drink, like it amplified my drinking and just like the entire headspace. It like is very, it's a lot. Yeah. It's weird. Oh, I, well, and that's why I asked because that's the sense you get from a lot of popular artists today is like there's this sort of bacchanalian kind of like embracing hedonism and like my life being a mess and like, I, you know, a lot of the popular music, if it's not like gangster oriented or crime oriented, it's like very much like vain, intoxicated and overindulged, you know, like yeah, that's like, the overall message. Like the entire image of my band was like, um, it was just like, yeah, you guys are like the young drunk kids, like kind of, cause we're like a garage rock kind of punk band kind of, you know, like kind of like a Sabbathy kind of thing to where like, that's where I got the name Izzy was cause I would drink and do so many drugs. You'd be like, Oh, he's like Ozzy. Call him Izzy Isborn. That was like my nickname. And that's how that became a thing. But like, yeah, it was just like this like debaucherous thing. And, um, the thing that happened with like my band was like, we, we actually did the things like we actually drank and we actually smashed shit and lit stuff on fire during shows. Like we actually did that stuff. And the label was like, oh, these guys are actually doing the things that we want to our PR teams to write about them doing, but we don't want them to actually do it because it's ends up being a liability. And they have they, you know, you have to LLC your band and all this other stuff. And, and also, like, I mean, I've like, I mean, we were kind of talking about like the me magic stuff, you know, earlier. And it's like I've always been pretty conspiratorial and tapped into that whole like knowledge of like this is how certain things are. And so once I started sort of seeing these weird things in the music industry of like, oh, we need to like tune this kick drum to this certain 
hertz, which is this frequency. And it's like, why that changes? And it's just like, it's all this weird frequency shit. And it's just like, you just start to get it. And, and I think that um, because my dad was sort of who he was and they sort of knew he wasn't down with a lot of weird shit that I was kind of the same way. And it just, that's sort of how that ended up so it kind almost, of not working. Almost did it almost feel like people had this knowledge of you and like, we're treating you maybe differently than others sort of thing. Like we're like, Oh, like he's not really in the in club sort of vibe. Is that kind of what you mean by them knowing about your dad and how he was against this shit? Yeah. And I think, I think what what I personally think is like if you really study some of this cult of ball Malachian kind of stuff is like they basically want to invert like everything right and I think that because my dad walked away from everything that their way of getting back at him was to try to get me and I think when they saw that I was like nah this is like fucking weird and gay and fuck you guys i don't care like you know and i think that that like they were trying to get back at him for like whatever happened you know or whatever they felt he owed them Mm, right yeah man that's some crazy stuff and i can appreciate you not wanting to get into some finer details but i will say that this is uh you know, I don't put every episode on YouTube, so you don't have to like worry about censoring yourself on that level. And also, we could always go over to the Patreon. Gotcha. Yeah, usually around this point in the episode, I, I switch over to the Patreon anyways. But uh, yeah, so not that you have to or, or should feel inclined to disclose anything that you don't feel comfortable disclosing, but it definitely sounds like what I'm kind of hearing is that there's some allusions to you know the music industry being a front for things like trafficking or things like psionic weapons with the whole frequency distortion thing you know when it comes to the the level of of sound disruption <laughs> you know i don't yeah. go to those kind of concerts because it's like you're you're what are you su- putting yourselves susceptible to there you know it's just like I don't know. It feels like droning. The bass is always so loud. You know, it's like, what's going on with that? Right. Yeah. If you want to, we can hop it. We can talk about it on the Patreon for sure. I'm down. I'm super down. Tell the people all the places where they can follow up with you. And I'm going to splice this part in where we left off when I was like, all right, we're going to go to the Patreon. So now people on the free audience are going to hear this part so they know you know about your show and where to go and all that so okay cool cool cool. so yeah so uh, everything is on my twitter at izzy and griffin 2 you can find everything there had to make it too because burt kreischer got me banned from twitter it's a long story i'll have to tell it some other time <laughs> you can check out my shows on killpodcasters.com i'm on a p- podcast called duh heads as well as the couch philosopher and then look out for uh, Hyper Sigil. It's a massive sketch show that we're going to be doing this summer. And there's going to be some pretty big names involved in the conspiracy community. That's, I guess, how I can put that I love legally. It. <laughs> I love it. Sounds awesome. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, man, great work. I think you're, you're a pro at this. And it was really interesting to hear, you know, your stories the stuff we got into on the Patreon, of course, you know, you don't come by that easily. 
So I yeah, didn't expect to go there, but hey, it is what it is, baby. Let's go. <laughs> no, and it's the world that we're living in, so people ought to know about it. So, But with that, folks, follow up with Izzy and all the places. Go over to his Twitter. That is linked in the description. And until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Izzy. As you heard, if you do not sign up for the Patreon, you are missing out. Mind-blowing stuff revealed in this episode. I cannot beat around the bush or shy away from it. It was it was crazy, and I, I do not, uh, you know, I totally understand why he would want to keep it behind a paywall. So, yeah, if you want to learn more, Sign up on the Patreon or the Substack for $5 a month. And that's all I'll say for this episode. We already hit the uh, ads in the mid-tro. Big shout-out to the Hit Kit. Big shout-out to our new sponsor. And, uh, yeah. Big shout-out to Izzy Griffin. Killpodcasters.com. Duh Heads Podcast. And, of course, the Couch Philosopher. So, yeah, folks, you don't want to miss all the great stuff we talked about. Uh, Sign up on the Patreon now to hear the rest of this conversation. And until next episode, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.